chaplain for the city of Bolingbrook, which is the suburb that they live in outside of Chicago. And she's on crisis management or crisis intervention team. Uh, so anytime there's a major disaster, she gets called in to help the um, first responders take care of themselves in that kind of process. So we are welcome to have mom back with us. Thank you for inviting me back. It is great to be with you. Um, what a powerful prayer time. Um, communication, loving communication with God um, in the fellowship of us all. What a blessing. What a blessing. Um, with your permission, I'm going to go ahead with plan A. Is that okay? It's, I, I'm kind of a little bit clock watching, but I'm going to go ahead with plan A. Is that okay? Amen. Will you please pray with me? Lord, indeed, prayer is such a powerful, loving communication with you. Lord, and we thank you that you have given us this powerful way of being with you, Lord. We ask your continued blessing upon us. I specifically ask your blessing upon this sermon that you've shared with me so that I can share it with others. Lord, indeed, help us to serve you and to serve others even better. In your name we pray. Amen. Knowing that Easter is right around the corner and knowing the gift of the resurrection, I feel called upon to talk about forgiveness as one of those gifts. Amen? With pinpoint accuracy, many of us can recall every bad thing that has ever happened to us with the smallest details surrounding each one of those events, and we can't let them go. How many of us are bound by the chain of resentment? No matter what, I will never let go of how you have wronged me. I will take this anger, this hatred to the grave. How can I forgive you if you're not sorry for what you did? How can I forgive the parent who beat and killed a child? How can I forgive the drunk driver who hit and killed someone? The co-worker who stabbed a friend in the back? The person that sexually assaulted an eight-year-old? The relative who stole family heirlooms from other relatives after a senior relative had died. The spouse, the spouse who cheated, the child who threw family values away, the teenager who shot and killed so many students and teachers with an AR-15. 
how can I forgive the construction company who built that walkway in Florida that collapsed and killed six people and injured many others? How can I forgive? I want to look at what I think are some alternative options to not forgiving. My first option is think for a moment of time when we have been betrayed. And let's suppose that we never forgive that person. We continue to feel the pain each time our memory brings it back. And so we are weighted down with resentment and bitterness and problems and mistakes and injustices and hurts of yesterday. Our freedom is gone because the pain of our past is controlling us. And this pain is impairing our ability to love and to trust and to be at peace in the present. And we cannot anticipate the future or enjoy the present because we are imprisoned by this pain. Amen? So without forgiveness, who's being hurt? I have a second option for not forgiving. is not saying anything to the other person, the offender. I used to do, I was in charge of a group, and I, every year we would have a new group turnover. And I would do a warm-up exercise for persons to get to know each other. We were supposed to get into pairs and answer a few questions to each other back and forth. Most of them were benign, like what was the name of your first dog and what high school did you go to? But one question and one answer one year stood out to me. The question was, what are you afraid of? And the anticipated answers were what? Spiders, height, snakes, flying. But this one time, this one person answered confrontation. She was afraid of confrontation. And I thought, wow, capital W-O-W, what a great answer. Aren't we all afraid of confrontation? Aren't we all hesitant to tell someone else that they have failed us in some way? Don't we all feel that we are to take that plank out of our own eye before we are to judge others? And so, a lot of times, we don't say anything to other persons. Amen? My third option, it goes along with saying that we don't say anything to the other person, but we say it to others, and sometimes many others. Triangulation, that's the fancy word for that. 
in this way with others and not with the offender doesn't make it any better. And actually, it can even make it worse. And it turns out it maybe says more about the person who is sharing than it does about the offender. My fourth option is denying that there is something to forgive. The conversation, what's wrong? And you respond, oh, nothing. That just doesn't lend itself to forgiveness. When we refuse to forgive someone and we hang on to that anger and resentment and bitterness and that whole list, we do nothing to the one who has wronged us. And so there is no accountability or consequences for their actions. Plus, they might not even know that they had done anything to hurt us. But we have the anger, the resentment, the bitterness, etc. And more than likely, they've got none of those. My fifth option is vengeance. We live in a society in which we like to hold others responsible. Who is to blame for this? Someone has to pay. We want to get even. We want to give back as much pain as they gave us. The problem with vengeance is that it never really ever settles the score. It doesn't even the score. Imagine that someone who has hurt us, and now imagine that person now being hurt in the same way. Does that actually compensate us? Does that actually make up for the life that we miss? Does that actually make up for the pain that we have endured? Plus, vengeance often sets off a chain of escalating retaliations. And as Gandhi famously said, he says, if we all live by an eye for an eye, soon the whole world would be blind. Not forgiving is like a poison inside of us, eating away. And this pocket of poison includes those venoms that I've been mentioning all along, the resentment, the rage, the revenge, the bitterness. And if this pocket of poison is not lanced and drained, it can kill us. It can ruin us for the rest of our lives because it can cause hurt and depression and stress in our emotional and physical health and in our interpersonal relationships. It can, it can zap our energy. It can steal our joy. We can punish ourselves with sleepless, sleepless nights and increased blood pressure and high cholesterol and heart attacks and chronic tension and stomach acid, acid and yes, even cancer. I could tell you story after story of 
persons who literally died because of the anger that they held within them for years. One of them is my uncle. My uncle's firstborn son, his pride and joy, my cousin, was in the Navy. He was a farmer's son. Some might call him a country hick and very much not in tune with the world. And his fellow Navy personnel, they let him know this regularly. Somehow, my cousin ended up in the ocean off his ship. His fellow Navy personnel kept throwing him a life preserver, and just when my cousin would get close enough to grab it, they'd pull it and yank it away from him. He was eventually rescued, but this and some other episodes led to a psych discharge and ultimately to his suicide. My uncle refused to forgive those who had hurt his son. And my uncle also refused to forgive his son for his suicide. And I feel that these lacks of forgiveness and ultimately destroyed my uncle and caused his death. But now I want to talk on the other hand. Forgiveness. Forgiveness boosts a positive change in our attitude. Forgiveness gives us better health. Forgiveness helps us sleep better at night. Forgiveness lessens feelings of anxiety, feelings of depression. Do we have persons in our lives that we need to forgive? Do we need to forgive ourselves for something that we've done? We can be forever miserable and punish others for their flaws and punish ourselves for our flaws. Or we can live happily and peacefully with imperfect people, including ourselves, through divine forgiveness. The only kind of human beings here on this earth are imperfect, who make mistakes, who miss the mark, who don't always do it right, who can come up short, who can be selfish, irritable, apathetic, angry, intolerant, who can lose our temper, and so much more. I'm seeing heads. A couple of weeks ago, I read this, and I'm gonna, going to be finishing it at the end of the sermon, but this is the first part. I read, we have all done unforgivable things. We have all wanted to punch holes in a wall. We have all made someone cry. We have all let someone down. We have all had a broken heart. We have all told a lie. We have all wanted to throw our life away. And we have all stayed up late overthinking. 
And so, forgiveness seems to be the center of all human relationships, does it not? I want to back up for a minute. I want to take a moment and talk about what forgiveness is not. I think that misunderstanding forgiveness is why so many victims end up bitter and angry. Forgiveness is not pardoning. Forgiveness is not condoning. Forgiveness is not excusing. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is not denying the pain or the wrongness of an act or violence or cruelty or abuse or injustice. Forgiveness is not passively accepting or ignoring the wrong or the sin committed or the person responsible. Forgiveness does not release the other person from the consequences of their behavior. Forgiveness does not require spiritual amnesia. Some hurts and scars from our past need to be remembered so that we don't repeat them. Through holy remembering, we are empowered to make wiser choices in the present and in the future and to help offenders to do the same. So what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is a choice. It's a unilateral understanding first step in freeing ourselves from carrying the heavy burden of resentment over past hurts. It's the letting go of the rage, of the anger. It is responding to the wrong in the right way. It sets the stage for possibilities of reconciliation and restored broken relationships. It involves courage so that genuine justice can lead to genuine grace, which can lead to genuine healing. Forgiveness is something that we must do, not so much for the sake of those who have hurt us, but for the sake of our own healing. To forgive is to make a conscious choice not to be bound by evil. When someone hurts us, the first injury they do is their fault to us. But if we hold on to that feeling of hatred in our own hearts, then that person does a second injury, and this time the fault is ours. The topic of forgiveness, which obviously that's what I'm talking about, led me to think about something that happened Christmas a year ago. Within a Christmas card from a family member was a letter. This letter stated how ashamed this person was of something that she had done to us eight years ago. She talked about how 
she had let us down. And she asked that at this Christmas time of celebrating the birth of Jesus and with his example of forgiveness, that if we could see it in our heart to give her forgiveness so that she could have peace in her heart. Forgiveness. Why is forgiveness so absolutely necessary in order for us to live with any degree of peace in our hearts at all? The answer to me, I think, is obvious. Normal people like you and me, all of us who are all sinners, need the gift of divine forgiveness to live with each other. And people, like I said before, are always going to be imperfect. We can live in conflict and frustration and anger with all of those normal, imperfect people around us. Or we can live happily with the divine gift of forgiveness. A college professor, a college religion professor that I read about, regularly asks her classes what they believe to be the most important part of the Christian message. And she tells us that her classes unfailingly respond overwhelmingly, forgiveness. However, I'm saying that I believe that forgiveness is one of the most difficult issues of the Christian life. And so the question before us this morning is, when people have hurt us, what are we as God's people to do? Wouldn't it be wonderful if there was a way to get rid of the weight of unresolved anger that weights us down? Jesus provides the answer in this morning's scripture from Matthew 18. And then Peter came to him and said, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jewish law taught that the maximum forgiveness was three times. Three times and you're done. Like in baseball, three strikes and you're out. Like our habitual felony laws, three strikes and you're out of society and into prison for the rest of your life. So by Peter suggesting that forgiveness was seven times, Peter thought he was being rather generous. Verse 22 goes on, and Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. In saying 77 times, some versions say 70 times 7, Jesus was saying infinitely, limitlessly, and Peter's mouth dropped. He had never heard of such a thing. He was shocked, he was flabbergasted, he was stunned, and many more adjectives. It was then that Jesus went on to tell a parable. Verse 23, he says, For this reason, the kingdom of God may be compared to a king 
who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. I'm told that 10,000 talents would roughly be equivalent to $25 million in today's society. Verse 25, and as he could not pay, his Lord ordered, ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all his possessions and payment to be made. And so the slave fell on his knees before him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. This king forgave the servants $25 million debt. To me, this is staggering, insurmountable, unbelievable for you as well. Verse 28, but that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. I'm told that a hundred denarii would be equivalent to about $50 a day's wage. And seizing him by the throat, he says, pay me what you owe. And then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused. And then he went and threw himself into prison until he could pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. And then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had had mercy on you and in anger his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he could pay his entire debt. Jesus's parable tells us that God's forgiveness is overwhelmingly abundant for all of humanity's sin and probably even more than for 25 million of them. Wouldn't we all be in trouble if God were to say to us, you owe me? Preacher's story, not mine. When I was a young lad growing up in northern Ontario during the Second World War, things were tough for many, many families. Our family was one of them. My father was a mining engineer who had begun a geological company on his own. He hit a tough time when there just wasn't enough to cover our needs. The local grocery store allowed people to put their groceries on the bill until payday. However, at a certain limit, the credit stopped. I was in the store with my mom one day, and as she brought her groceries to the counter, the owner looked at her account and told her that there was no credit left. We literally had almost nothing 
to eat in the house. My mom stood there with tears in her eyes, quite embarrassed. Even as a child, I could sense her humiliation. The owner took that slip of paper, which was her bill, and tore it up and threw it in the wastebasket. And then he took out a new slip and wrote down her new purchases. As we walked the pathway home, I pretended not to notice my mom's new tears. Forgiveness means freedom from a debt owed. We long for freedom from our spiritual debt. There is no way that we could ever repay God for the enormous debt that God has paid for our sins. We pray in the Lord's Prayer, one version, it says, forgive us our debts. And as the owner at the grocery store did, God has taken the bill and torn it up. God has forgiven and paid our debt through the cross and the death of his son, Jesus Christ. This parable goes on with one more sentence, verse 35. And so my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. Forgiveness is the doorway to our relationship with God. It is only because of God's love and forgiveness for us and his grace towards us that we can have a relationship with our Lord as well as with others. This command, this verse 35, is very clear. Jesus is commanding that because we have been abundantly forgiven by God, that we in turn are to forgive others. In other words, when we become a forgiven person, we must become a forgiving person. Will you say that with me? When we become a forgiven person, we must become a forgiving person. The only motivation for forgiveness is gratitude. It is only when we realize our gratitude for the many times that God has forgiven us that we can forgive others. This command is also found in Matthew and Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Other versions say, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. But Matthew has one more line. It says, for if you do not forgive the trespasses of others, neither will God forgive you your trespasses. Some things I want you to take away from this sermon this morning, some applications. The first one is that forgiveness takes time. The deeper the pain, I think the longer it takes to heal. Forgiveness is not easy to give. It's not always convenient. 
If it were easy, I think more of us would do it more regularly. If we continue to focus on the wrong that someone has done to us, we will never forgive them. Forgiveness isn't something that we can do all at once and then check it off on our to-do list, on our been there, done that list. Forgiveness can be a difficult, painful road, but indeed it does lead to freedom. Another pastor's story, not mine. Do you recall one of the most famous photos to come out of the Vietnam War? A small girl running naked down the road with an expression of unimaginable terror. Her clothes burned off and her body scorched by napalm. The man who coordinated the raid on this child's village in June of 1971 was 24-year-old U.S. helicopter pilot and operations officer named John Plummer. The day after the raid conducted by South Vietnamese, South Vietnamese airplanes, Plummer saw the photo in the military newspaper Stars and Stripes and was devastated. It just knocked me to my knees and that was where, when I knew that I could never talk about this. The guilt over that raid became a lonely torment. He suffered periodic nightmares that included the scene from the photo, accompanied by the sounds of children screaming. The girl in the photo, her name was Kim, survived 17 operations and eventually relocated to Toronto and became an occasional goodwill ambassador for UNESCO. In 1996, Plummer heard that Kim would be speaking at a Veterans Day observance in Washington, not far from his home. He went and was in the audience when Kim said, if I could talk face to face with the pilot who dropped the bombs, I would tell him we could not change history, but we should try to do good things for the present. Plummer, in the audience, wrote her a note. He said, I am that man. And he asked an officer to take that note to her. At the end of the speech, he pushed forward through the crowd to reach her, and soon they were face to face. He says, she just opened her arms to me. I fell into her arms sobbing, and all I could say was, I'm so sorry. I am just so sorry. And Kim responded, it's all right. I forgive. I forgive. Isn't this the forgiveness, the kind of forgiveness that Jesus is asking us all to do? If she could forgive him of all that happened to her, should we not forgive all that has happened to us? And for most of us, I'm guessing it's probably pretty petty in comparison. I totally know that it would be difficult, especially if it involves ourselves being hurt, or even so, a family member or a friend who is hurt. But I think that Jesus is still asking us to forgive, 
even if it is a horrific tragedy, even if it has hurt us greatly. I can't even imagine what those parents are going through who have lost children or family or friends through the violence at the schools in Florida or Columbine or Sandy Hook. Or those survivors from a San Bernardino Christmas party or from the Boston Marathon or any of the other shootings or bombings that we have had. I can't even imagine what those parents and gymnast daughters are going through what a medical professional did. I can't even imagine what those family members and friends are thinking about the construction company that built that walkway bridge that killed six persons in Florida. But I am thinking that Jesus is telling us that we eventually need to forgive or it's going to eat us alive. To reconcile and to forgive requires the involvement and of dependence upon God. We can't do it on our own. Every one of us comes to a fork in the road. We can either walk down that road of resentment and retaliation and vengeance, or we can walk down that road marked gratitude, marked grace. It's a matter of choice. Many of us define our identity in the present and in the future by our mistakes and pain of the past. We should not allow the pain of our past to define our future. Forgetting is an outgrowth of forgiveness. God has erased the record of our past wrongs and hurts from the divine hard drive. And if God has forgiven our past sins and mistakes, why do we keep trying to remember them? Forgiveness is for people to be more like Jesus, who on the cross said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. My final pastor story. Betty was filled with anger at her husband because of an affair that he had carried on with his secretary. The worst part of it was how she found out. The morning after her husband was honored at the Rotary Club for outstanding service to the community, Betty was looking through her husband's desk at home to find an old photograph. Imagine her shock to find motel receipts in a file drawer from a local motel. And when she confronted her husband, he confirmed the affair and rubbed salt in the room by telling her that it had gone on for 15 years years. Betty's husband was not the man that the Rotary Club or nor that she thought he was. Two weeks after Betty had confronted him, her husband had a sudden heart attack and died. And Betty was left with the rage, with the resentment in her soul. Betty told me, and the, the author of this, 
told me the story at a conference several years after the death of her husband when she challenged my point in a sermon that forgetting is often the outgrowth of true forgiveness. Betty used to be a whistler, she told me. She was known for her whistling, but she hadn't whistled since she discovered her husband's affair, and she said she would never, ever whistle again. She asked me how to forgive someone who had died. I suggested that she write a letter to her husband and be honest with him about the hurt that he had caused her. I told her to write down the unedited rage in her soul. Betty thought this was the craziest idea that she had ever heard of. I thought I had offended her because she didn't show up at the conference for the next two days. The day before the closing session, Betty came to the conference with a big stack of paper. Betty, Betty, you look tired. You're darn right I'm tired. I haven't slept in two days. Here's the letter, and I'm going to read it to you, all 35 pages of it. There's got to be an easier way to make a living than the ministry, I thought to myself, thought the speaker. We went to the cemetery, and on a bench near her husband's grave, she read the letter out loud. The catharsis in her soul was punctuated by tears and, and screams and long moments of silence when she couldn't speak. And when she finished, we burned that letter, and we watched her rage disintegrate into ashes. I offered a prayer for Betty, and she said, one, two, asking to God to help her to forgive and forget. I believe God answered those prayers. You know why I think so, the speaker says. Because the last morning of the conference, I looked out at the congregation, and my eyes locked with Betty during the closing hymn, Amazing Grace. Betty wasn't singing, she was whistling. And that's the power of forgiveness. How profound is the need to be forgiven and to forgive? You know it deep inside, you feel it. You need the freedom of being forgiven and forgiving. The practice of forgiveness by Christians towards one another is evidence of Christ's love in the world. We are called to be the presence of Jesus to others in the world. And the language of love is always the language of forgiveness. When Jesus spent those last hours with his disciples in the upper room, he told them, love one another as I have loved you. He told them that the world would know that they belonged to him if they had the accepting, forgiving, and unconditional love for one another. An unforgiving heart 
is a barrier to the free flow of the love of God in our lives and a fatal hindrance to our witness as a church to the world. Without genuine free-flowing forgiveness, there can be no authentic Christian community. Having said all of this, I want to be clear about a couple of things. I want to be clear that I do not believe that Jesus is talking about cheap forgiveness or cheap grace. Forgiveness is not easy. It's not cheap. Jesus Christ gave his life for our forgiveness with God and for God's grace. I do not believe that Jesus is talking about forgiveness, that it's an excuse to be a doormat, or that it's healthy or good to let someone walk on us and get away with repeatedly abusing us, and then we are to tolerate such abuse in the name of forgiveness. I don't believe either of those. But I do believe that Jesus is telling us that we must forgive others, and not merely from the lips, not merely from the head, not merely out of church obligation, but from the heart. Okay? So how did I handle that letter from my family member asking me for forgiveness so that she could have peace in her heart? Well, I wrote her a long, long letter, itemizing each, inventing each and every infraction and how they had hurt me. I also told her that I had moved on and had let it go years ago. I told her that I had forgiven her years ago and that I forgive her now. I told her that it was now time for her to move on and to let it go. However, with much prayer, thought, and counsel, I didn't send that letter. I ended up writing a second letter. And this was the one I did send to her. I realized that in that first letter, I needed to itemize each infraction for me. I needed to vent. I needed to let go. But I also realized that I didn't need to send that letter and rub salt into the wound of someone already repentant. And so, my second letter was one sentence. When we receive an honest and sincere request for forgiveness, which I believe yours is, family forgives families and continues to love them. Amen. There's a popular movie today, especially with young girls, our granddaughter, Rochelle, included. 
I think she's moved on now, but it was at one point. It's from the movie Frozen. And it has a popular song that I think some of the lines can be adapted to speak to exactly what we're talking about here this morning. Let it go. Amen. Let it go. Here I stand and here I'll stay. I'm never going back. The past is the past. Let it go. Let it go. How did you know? Another one. All right. Hey, you're on target. He's good. My final point. Forgive. Let it go. Release it. Throw it out. Throw it in the garbage. Let anger, resentment, rage, whatever. Revenge. Bitterness go. Take back the God-given power you have for your own life. I mentioned earlier that there was going to be one more line to what I read earlier. And that one more line is, we are all humans and we are trying to do better today than we did yesterday. How are we doing in the forgiveness category? Is there someone that we need to forgive? A family member? A friend? Ourselves? Someone else? Let us all try to do better today than yesterday. Going back to verse 33, it says, Should we not have had mercy on our fellow slaves as I had had mercy on you? That's a question. Should we not have had mercy on our fellow slaves as I had had mercy on you? Christ is waiting for your answer to that question. Amen. Stay. With my mother-in-law. <laughs> This is my son-in-law. <laughs> You're forgiven. <laughs> if we can just bow our heads for a moment. And, and I'm going to have Sharon close us out with a benediction. But if you could uh, just look to the Lord at this time. Father, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you, Lord. We cannot express, Lord, in words, Lord. So we rely on spirit, Lord, that utter these things, Lord, even when we can't find the words. What you have done, what you have accomplished, Lord, we trust.